All right, good morning. If this is your first time to Keystone, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come back next week. We have great preaching pastors, and it'll be a good thing for you. Uh, ever since uh, the word got out that I was going to be preaching, numerous people have asked me, are you nervous? You know? And to answer that question is, I've never preached a sermon in my life. And now I'm going to jump into a series on sex, and I'm going to preach on pornography and say words like masturbation in church. And uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't get more nerve-wracking than that probably as you prepare to do a sermon. But I pray through, through God's grace that this train is going to stay on the rails as we go through this. Now, as we live our lives, we are subconsciously assessing dangers everywhere we go, all throughout our day. Whether we're driving down the street and we're seeing something that's a little, uh, someone driving poorly and we change lanes or get past that person or we're out on a hike and we see a ledge and we go to one side. All through our lives, we're constantly making these, asse- these assessments. We're basically uh, trying to figure out what is safe and what is not safe. And as we pr- perceive these threats, we change, change our lives in an effort to, to reduce them. Okay? In my line, line of work, we, we call it tactical, aware, tactical awareness. Are we aware of our surroundings? Are we aware of what may hurt us? And this morning, we're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about it because in no time in human history has pornography been more available to us. Okay? It is everywhere. I would venture to say that everybody in this room has a cell phone. And potentially, everybody in this room in the next 10 seconds could probably have any form of pornography they want in their hand unchecked. Okay? That is technology and that is circumstances that no other generation before us has had to deal with. So my question for you is, are we prepared for this? Are we prepared? You know, a couple of weeks back, uh, Pastor Brandon did a great sermon, and in that sermon he uh, used a, an analogy about the snake in the grass and when he was talking about sin. And he said it's the snake that you don't see that you should be concerned about. And that really resonated with me. I thought, ah, that was a good example. But when I started to think more about pornography, I thought to myself, what if you're not scared of snakes? You know, and, and I think sometimes we have to be worried about that. Do we see pornography for what it is, for the sin that it is? And are we being guarded against it? As a church, how are we doing with pornography? How do we measure how well we're doing? I have a short video here that may give us some examples. Chains yet, Lord, were bound in 
present here we dwell in our own land deliver us deliver us oh Yahweh hear our cry and gather us beneath your sins they are more numerous than all the lambs we slay our shackles they were made with our own hands our toil is our atonement and our freedom yours to give so Yahweh Break this silence if you can. The statistics on that screen are five years old now. I apologize for that. It was one of the best videos I could find that combined some of the things I wanted. And you can imagine in the past five years, those stats have not gone down. They've only continued to grow. And the infiltration of pornography in the church has also continued to grow. You saw some of those numbers, but those numbers are based on self-reports. Self so you can imagine that probably those numbers are significantly higher than what we're seeing there because most people aren't going to acknowledge what's going on. Recent stats suggest that 90% of boys and 60% of girls will have viewed pornography by the age of 8. Just let that sink in now. That's right now in today's society. 90% of boys and 60% of girls will have viewed some form of pornography by the age of 8. And we wonder why it appears like our society is becoming over-sexualized. Okay. Everyone in this room knows someone that's affected by pornography. Okay. I know people in this church who have struggled with pornography. I, I pray regularly for people in this church who have either struggled or are currently struggling with pornography. It affects us just like it affects everyone else. If I was to ask you right now and I said, who in here uh, thinks pornography is okay? And I said to raise your hand, no one would raise your hand. But if I cleared out this room and I brought in a non-church crowd under the same circumstances and said, who here thinks pornography is okay? I doubt you were going to see too many non-church people raise their hand either because there's a stigma. It's not a public thing that people are going to do. So it should be not surprising to us that our statistics as Jesus followers, as people of the church, are very similar to the statistics of people outside of the church. You'll find out whenever you work with Pastor Keith, uh, he likes to read. So in any capacity, if you've been in a classroom, you're going to be reading lots of books. So... As part of this series, he gave me a book called Wired for Intimacy by William Struthers. And I want to take some excerpts from this book because it starts to describe the differences between men and women when it comes to pornography. Because for some women in this room, you're thinking to yourself, is this really a big deal? Because it doesn't always affect us the same ways. And he has some interesting points in here. He writes, and he's talking about the the male brain here. 
Although neither superior nor inferior, they are very different in the way they detect stimuli, process information, and respond to emotions. This is important because men detect sexual cues rapidly when it comes to nakedness or sex-related stimuli. Men seem to be more sensitive to visual cues for sexual arousal. And then he has a whole bunch of references there. And I read that, and I was like, I didn't need a book to tell me that. Okay? Every person in here probably knows that's, that's not new news. But if you uh, don't believe me, I want to give you an example. Okay? And don't raise your hand until I've completed my whole question. How many men in here, and did, did we dismiss the kids? Okay. Sorry about that. I'm used to second service. That's why you guys don't see me. How many men in here have some sort of outfit or some sort of like men's lingerie that they put on to try to turn on their, their spouse their, or their wife? If you're one of those guys, please raise your hand. <laughs> Matt Graham. He's the only one. Now, I'm just kidding. Matt's not. And, and, and we don't. You want to know why? Because it wouldn't do anything. Honestly, it would probably have the opposite effect of what we're trying to do. Women are not visual on average. Now, I'm going to say these things, uh, and I know this isn't going to be the same for everyone, but on average, women are not visual. So it shouldn't surprise us that they're not going to be affected by this type of sin as much as our male counterparts. As we work through this, I want you to start to think to yourself, what is our perspective of pornography? Are we properly assessing the dangers of pornography And are we prepared for the battle? Because make no mistake about it, this is a battle. This is Satan trying to infiltrate with sin. And he's going to use this any way he can. And if we're not prepared for the battle, if we're not tactically ready to deal with this, we may not have a good outcome. This is a bolt uh, that goes to my crossbow. And I'm not a hunter my kids wanted to hunt, so I got a, a bolt, and I got a crossbow, and we made an attempt to do hunting. Um, at the end of this, there, there, there are blades, and in theory, these blades are supposed to go through an animal and kill that animal. These blades have never had that opportunity. Um, but when I see this, I see, you know, it's dark, it's cold, I'm bored. It, it, it doesn't do anything for me. For many of you in this room, this, this, just seeing this brings you joy, all right? You're like, oh, that's relaxation. That's a hobby. That's something I love to do. But if you were a deer and you could talk and you weren't a deer around my house, you, this would represent death. It would represent death. And I think it's important as we start to assess pornography that we look at it in that way. It's the same thing. Okay, this is the same bolt, but a lot of us are looking at it in very different ways. As Pastor Keith said, for the last 20 years I've worked in law enforcement. In the last 10, I've been assigned as a detective in criminal investigations. That has given me the opportunity to speak to a lot of neat people in a lot of strange circumstances. Over and over again, as I meet with people who are in probably some of the hardest times of their lives, whether they're a perpetrator or a victim of some sort of sexual crime, 
as we do our investigation and we look back and we do forensic examinations of, you know, their devices, their phones, or what have you, I would, I would guess 97, 98% of the time we're going to find some sort of pornography in their past, okay? You can almost watch it play out to you where you can see a problem start and you can just see it start to grow. You can see it start to grow. These are in adults and this is in children. And as that starts to grow, things start to go unhinged and, and more bad things then tend to happen. And after things get to the pivotal point, then they usually come in front of me. And I give some examples of people who have committed homicides, multiple homicides, done terrible things to the bodies post-mortem, sexually. Pornography played a role in that. I talked to that person. They told me that. Okay. I, have case, I had a case with a 13-year-old girl who was a rape victim. And she, um, through the investigation, I found out that she had been advertising herself online for sex as quote-unquote a prostitute. And throughout the investigation, I also found out that she was terribly addicted to pornography. This is a 13-year-old girl. So for all the females in the room who checked out earlier, check back in. Because if there is an award for most improved in this, for lack of a better word, you'd be getting that now. Statistics show that more and more women are starting to be engaged in pornography where it wasn't the case before. But the thing interesting about this 13-year-old girl is uh, her father was a pastor. And you think to yourself, how can that happen? We are not exempt simply because we carry a Bible, simply because we walk in the church. We are not exempt from this threat. I can think of other examples where I've talked to parents and they say, I don't recognize my kids anymore. I have a 12-year-old boy. I have a 12-year-old girl. Two years ago, they were perfectly fine. Now I can't get them to talk to me. I can't get them to leave their room. They're addicted to pornography. They're meeting people online. They're having sex with people who are 20 and 30 years old. And they say, how did this happen? I don't know what happened. And I go through the investigation and I find um, it's not uncommon to find one to two to three hours of pornography use every night, one to 3 a.m., okay? Both adults, kids. And they say, why did this happen? And I want to look, look at them and say, why don't you think it happened? You let your 12-year-old child have unchecked access with a device to the Internet. And bad things happen. And you're surprised. And this comes from families of faith, church people, people who would be Jesus followers who say, I can't believe this happened. If we get one thing out of this today, I don't want you to ever say, I can't believe this happened. Because you should believe it. We're all sinners. This is out there. It's prevalent. This shouldn't surprise us. This isn't a fear sermon. This is an awareness sermon. We need to be aware that this is out there. And when we're not, we get stories like the one I just told you. Okay? We look at devices and we find all types of stuff on there. Okay? We talk about pornography. It's almost synonymous with the word masturbation or sex with self. This is a sex series. Pastor Keith has spoken about sex and, and, and the glory of it within the confines of marriage. And what Satan is trying to tell us right now through pornography is that is good, but sex with self is better. And it's an easy sell right now in our society because in a society that wants everything now on our terms, it's very easy. We, we, we have our phone. We can do it whenever we want. And it's a hidden sin. And there's people in this church right now who are struggling with this sin. I know it. I know it for a fact. 
And they're sitting all amongst us. And unfortunately, a lot of us are believing this sin. And it's, it, it's affecting our lives. You know, we're left with broken marriages. We're left with broken lives. People who can't really even communicate anymore. They're so engrossed in pornography. Wherever they go, that's all they see. Any type of woman they see on the street, they can't even look at her as a human being. They immediately go back to the images that are stuck in their minds. What I find interesting is there is a second part in this book, Wired for Intimacy, in which the book goes into some of the, uh, the science behind this. And I think it's, it's a really good book. I'd recommend it. I didn't read the whole thing, but I read portions of it. And he talks about vasopression. Vaso. And it says, vasopression released in the brain of males after sexual intercourse increases their social attachment to their partner. And underneath it says, vasopression is related, released in the brain during sexual behavior and is particularly important in binding the male to his mate. There is also some indication that vasopression may be involved in protecting the mate and becoming aggressive toward other males. One study has gone so far as to argue that a gene which codes for vasopression receptors has been correlated with marital status, marital bonding, and the spouse's perception of marital quality. Unfortunately, with repeated sexual acting out in the absence of a partner, a man will, will be bound and attached to the image and not the person. It isn't interesting how we, we, we talk about the two will become one. They will be bound together. And as Pastor Keith has talked over this sermon series, it is the glue that holds the marriage together. And now we look at pornography, and we see, based on current science that it's actually making us attached to images. It's pulling our, our love and our desire away from our spouse, and it's reattaching it to images. And isn't it interesting how the Bible and the stories that are written, you know, two, 3,000 years ago are being proved by science in the current century? It makes you wonder. To properly understand pornography, we must understand it is a weapon used by Satan against us. I got some imagery up here. Because we're talking to people who uh, see. Like they have images, okay? It is a weapon used against us. We must act like we're in a spiritual war, okay? We can't just walk around and think that we're going to be able to just not be affected by, by, by this. Once again, he's trying to sell us the idea that sex with ourself or by viewing pornography, is better than what he has planned for us, sex and marriage. Enough with what I have to say. I'd like to dive into the Bible and give you an example. Most of you are like, where are you going to get an example from? Exactly where you think it would be, the Old Testament. Old Testament pornography. So if you can open your Bibles to 2 Samuel. And to give you a little background on where we're going to go, we're going to talk about King David. For those of you who don't know King David, David and what happened with him. We'll give you a little background on the history. You know, the nation of Israel is, has, has moved out of the promised land. They're doing their own thing. I mean, moved to the promised land. I'm sorry. They're doing their, their own thing. They say, hey, everyone around us has kings. We'd like to have some kings. We think that's a good, good idea. So eventually, the Lord relents and gives them a king. He gives them King, king Saul. And that works out for a while. And after King Saul starts to go downhill... They need a new king, and then King David is selected. 
And then we're going to go to, actually, we're going to go to 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 16. Apologize for making you move around. It's up, up, on the, up on the board if you want to see it. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. F- find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. I put that on there just so you can see that King David was hand-selected, appointed by God, and then subsequently anointed by Samuel. Our main path passage today is going to be in 2 Samuel 11, 1-5. I'll give you a second to get there. You know, as King David took the crown, as he started his uh, rule, we just see him described as many things. We see him described as a Bible all-star. That's the way I describe him. The Bible doesn't do it that way. The Bible describes him as skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war. We see examples of David and Goliath. We see him being a mighty warrior, conquering all around, uh, people all around his area. We see the Lord is with him, and the Lord speaks with him. And everything seems to be on track, and then we get to 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. He says, In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, as after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, I'm sorry, Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent a messenger to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed her, the purification rites and after having, after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. Sounds like a soap opera. Not like something you would find in the Old Testament. But I don't want to skip over some of the pivotal points in here. So let's go back and look at this passage a little bit closer. And the first thing I want to take note of is we see a big difference in the King David before and the King David here. King David was a leader. He was always out to war. He was always out with his men, fighting from the front. In this passage, we immediately see something is off on that. We see that he is, he is home. All his, his warriors are away. They're out at, at war, and he is at home, which is a complete different thing than we usually see of him. Okay. Not only is he at home, he's taking afternoon naps. Not, it's just unbelievable to me. And then after his afternoon nap, you can see him just, he's walking out on the roof. He's walking, just minding his own thing, doing whatever kings do. I don't know. And he looks over, and, and he sees Caesar. And I'm going to tell you, that's pornography. Okay? He sees her, and he looks at her. You can almost see him going, whoa. And, and, and he stays, and it intrigues him. And we see it start to start this process in which a lot of bad things are going to happen. Okay? Not only does he see her and watch her, he goes to get someone and says, who is that? And that person comes back and says who she is, that's Bathsheba. And goes on to tell him that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
Okay? And David knows Uriah the Hittite. Okay? Uriah the Hittite is listed as one of David's mighty men down the road. Like, they're tight. But even knowing that, he says, bring her here. Makes you wonder what would have happened if he had just walked by. If he had walked by. You know, David thought since he was not out in the field in war that he was safe, that he was okay to rest. And little did he know that at this time in his life, Satan was going to bring the war, war to him at his house. And that war was when he was walking up there. And he had a choice to pick when he saw her down there and what he was going to do. And he, and he chose unwisely. And maybe he wasn't prepared. I don't know. It does not tell, tell us. So they bring Bathsheba up. He sleeps with her, and then she subsequently gets pregnant. And we know it's his because Uriah's away at war, and it says she had just finished having her menstrual cycle. So there's no disputing over whose child this is. So David is stuck in a situation. And you would think a man of God like David would see this and go, I need to repent. I'm sorry. We need to get past this. He doesn't. He doesn't. He tries to cover it up. He brings Uriah home. I'm just going to do some uh, quick stuff to get through because we're running a little behind. He, he brings Uriah home and attempts to have him sleep with his wife to cover up the sin. Uriah won't do that. Then he tries to get Uriah drunk in order to have him sleep with his wife to cover up sin. Uriah won't sleep with his wife because he said, my people are out fighting. How can I come home and do this while they're out there? So then he tries to get Uriah drunk, and Uriah still won't do it. And then he doesn't know what to do. So he sends Uriah back out with instructions to send him to where the fighting is the strongest. And when things are at the worst, pull back. And he subsequently has Uriah killed. Okay. He didn't kill him with his hand, but he sure bought the conspiracy. It was by his c- c- commands that Uriah was killed. Second Samuel 11, 26 and 27 is important for a couple reasons. Um, when Uriah's wife heard, I'll, I'll read it to you because I, I don't have it up on the slide like I wanted. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to his son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You know, when I read that, I found something very, very, very important there. It gives us a time period, okay? It, it tell, tell, tells us that we are now, she has now had this child. We are now nine months from this original sin, and David has still not repented. He has carried this sin. He has carried this with him this entire time. And here, this person who we have placed over here on this pedestal, anointed by God, is now continuing in this sin. He still does not repent. Then Nathan comes in, for his rebuke. And he tell, tells him a little story about a lamb and a rich man and a poor man with a lamb. And the rich man had lots of lambs and the poor man had one lamb and loved his little lamb and a guest came and the rich man killed the poor man's lamb. And this infuriates David. He said, how could this man do, do this? And then Nathan comes to him. I have a slide for it. In 2 Samuel 12 to 7, this is what he says. You are the man. And he's not saying that in a kind way. 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I have anointed you king over Israel. I have delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your masters. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And of all this had not, of all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart you, never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. He goes on after that to tell King David that, his, that the child that was born out of that sin with Bathsheba is going to die. And that subsequently happens. And after that happens, we, we, we read something very, very interesting. After the child dies, you know, at this point in time, David has repented. But after the child dies, it says David worshipped. Went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. And we, we start to see repentance. And if you want to read his full repentance, you can go to Psalm 51 on your own time. It shows his true repentance of what, uh, what, what he said. But I find it very interesting after the death of his child, he is there worshiping the Lord, calling out to the Lord, apologizing, asking for repentance, and then we see grace. We see the Lord give David grace. And in that grace, we see David go back to Bathsheba. And in his comforting of Bathsheba, he sleeps with her again. And out of that, we get King Saul Solomon. And the Bible says, and the Lord loved King Solomon. He loved him. And we all know from then on, all the things that King Solomon would go and do that would benefit the, the Lord. What do we do with this? What do we do with this information? Okay. How do we apply this in today's society? What are some things I can do right now to protect myself, to prepare myself for the bad battle that's out there? First and foremost, I think we have to pray. I know what you're thinking. You had to say, say that. You're up there. I didn't have to say that. Okay? I'm not paid. I can say whatever I want up here right now. Okay? But when I go through the Bible and I look at people that find themselves engrossed in sin, I never find an application where the guy's like, you know, I tried really, really hard and it worked out. I was able to pull myself out of sin all on my own and things where I worked out. We don't see, see that. So I think we, not, we definitely have to say the first thing we need to do is pray. We need to acknowledge the sin. We need to understand that pornography is a crippling sin. Acknowledge it and pray. We need to pray for protection. We need to pray for courage. And we must repent to the Lord. We must tell him our sin. And he will extend to us the, the, the grace that, that we need. The other note is we need to be open. You know, this is a sin of privacy. I think that's why it's so prevalent. Because no one knows. There are people in here right now whose spouses don't know. Whose parents don't know that they're currently engaged in this. Okay? Part of this, repent, this process is we have to be open. We need to be able to talk about these things openly. You know, if you're a husband, you understand this a little bit better maybe than your wife. Because she doesn't have those same type of visual cues. So you need to be able to tell her, hey... These are things we need to watch out for. And you need to be able to tell her too, hey, I may have some issues with this. And not that I want your wife to be your accountability partner if you're addicted to pornography. There's other places and other people to do that. But if you're not addicted to pornography and you're just 
going down this road a lot of life and you're concerned that it may be a temptation, why not? How often have you asked your spouse, is pornography an issue? Do you have any temptations about that? How often have you asked your kids? How often have you checked your kids' devices? Okay. There is a vid- video game out there that has been around for years and has sold millions and millions and millions of co- copies. It's been directed as kids, but it actually has adults, in which you, you, know, you steal cars, you do some other stuff. There's a scene in that video game in which, in a first-person view, you pick up a prostitute, and that prostitute performs oral sex on you in a first-person view. It's a video game, and this is being sold to our kids, and we're watching that. And I ask you, as parents, as spouses, did you know that was out there? And if you didn't, why didn't you? If you're going to hand your spouse, child, what have you, a device, a game, shouldn't you know what the consequences would, would, can, can be? I often, when I talk to people after these things, I think to myself, how did they not know? How do they not foresee that opening up themselves, whether it's a daughter or child, to a plethora of pornography on many fronts, how did they not know that this was going to happen? And I've come to the conclusion that they have not prepared. They have not gotten themselves in the mindset for that battle. Accountability. Men, if this is an issue with, with you, you need to find someone. There is many success stories in this church. Man, many. Men who have pulled themselves out of this, have had accountability partners, have prayed, have repented, and have worked through this. And if you need someone, you contact someone in this church. You contact one of the pastors. You can call me. My information's out there. I'll be your part partner. You need to find someone who's going to hold you accountable and ask you those hard questions. Where internet and technology hurts, sometimes it helps. So there are applications out there. I'll give you some. I don't have it up on my uh, screen. I'm sorry for that. But Triple X Church website. You go on that website. Make sure you write church. Triple X Church. They have a free application. You can go, go on and download software that will sort of monitor you. Okay? And give clues to other people. And I haven't... Download, I don't know how it works, but I think what it does is it basically lets people have access to what you're seeing. So you can have one, one person say, hey, your wife or someone can say, I, I, I know what you're looking at. It holds you accountable for what you're searching, what, what, what you're viewing. If the hand-picked king of God's people fell into the trap of porno- pornography, why do we think it can't happen to us? The statistics out there that I showed you show it is happening to us. It's happening to us at an alarming rate. Are we prepared? Tactically, have we set ourselves up in a position where we are prepared? This isn't a fear sermon. We're we're, we're not afraid, but we're prepared. We know what's out there. We know it's potentially going to be a problem, and we're going to take it on. Covenant Eyes is another good program. I think there's a cost for that. That one with triple X one's free. But why do we need to be, be prepared? This isn't going away. It's only going to get worse. With the introduction of 
virtual reality and other type things. We have no idea where this is going to go in the next 10 or 15 years. No idea. I have no idea. We need to be prepared now. We need to address these issues now. And if you're in the clutches of this right right now, you, you need to just to understand grace. You need to understand that the blood of Jesus that was spilled was spilled to cover you. And there should be no shame in accepting that grace. There should be no shame in repentance. It's not going to be easy. And men and women, if your child or your spouse comes to you in this, don't act surprised. Don't shame them. Be their supporter. Come alongside and say, I understand this is sin. I'm not surprised by sin. Sin's everywhere. I'm going to work with you to get through this. If I was to tell you in the next seven days that some wanted fugitive was going to try to come and take either your spouse or your children, how would you change your life? What would you do differently in your daily life to prepare for that type of threat? How would you allocate resources here or there? My last slide up there for all the imagery people. There is someone who's going to come after your spouse at some point in time and potentially your kid at some point in time. It's going to be Satan. I don't know if he's going to be red. That's just what it was on the photograph. But he's going to come. And he's going to come with pornography. And he's going to have an arrow. And it, are we going to be prepared? Are we going to be prepared? Are we going to be ready for this? Or are we just going to wait and not do anything about it? Now is the time. Now is the time to make these decisions. Not when you're in the midst of having the opportunity to see something. Now is the time. And are we going to be prepared? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, this is a topic that affects so many of us. So many of us here. Lord, and I just pray... I pray that the Spirit would move in the hearts of both men and women here who are currently struggling with the sin of pornography. I pray that they would see your plan, that they would see that you love them and you gave your Son to die for them. I pray that they would come to you in repentance and enjoy the comfort and the peace that comes with your presence. Lord, it's not an easy thing to talk about. It's somewhat uncomfortable, but you know that the enemy is out to get us. But the power in you is stronger than the power in the enemy. And I thank you for, for that. I thank you for being the creator of all life. I thank you for loving us the way you do. And I pray for a protection. In Jesus' name, amen.